A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast, recording today at the London Podcast Studios. I'm Matt Deacon. Uh, on the show today, a wave of big names leaves US TV. Is the Me Too movement finally cutting through in television? Uh, also on the show, all the latest from Cannes as MIT TV draws to a close. All that plus the media quiz, and it's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Prince Harry has begun his legal action against News Group, alleging to the court there's been a secret agreement between the royal family and Murdoch's titles. This apparently involved a promise of an apology for phone hacking in exchange for a delayed resolution. Uh, The trial continues. Elsewhere, NBC Universal boss Jeff Schell is out after a claim of misconduct. The network initially said he was let go over an inappropriate relationship. Uh, Schell said, I had an inappropriate relationship with a woman in the company, which which I deeply regret. And Talk TV celebrated one year on the air this week with Piers Morgan Studio now relocating to the news building and new boss Richard Wallace regretting the focus on Piers at the launch. A friend of the show, Jake Cantor, has a great deep dive all about it in Deadline this week. We'll put a link in the show notes. But today, live from the London Podcast Studios, I've got three media experts here with me to cover some more stories shaking up the sector. First up, it's Press Gazette, Charlotte Tobit. Uh, Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Matt. Uh, Lovely to see you in person. Uh, You've been writing about the Daily Mail's expanding royal coverage, and not just for the coronation. Apparently, it's here to stay. Interestingly, you know, despite everyone thinking Mail Online, this massive, massive website, they're not just going for scale of audience anymore. They're thinking, what are the best ways to engage with our readers? They know that their readers love the royals, so they're, they're like, this is one way we need to um, double down and in fact that they're, they're expanding on their TikTok presence which is massive and, and launching a new one and going yes let's you know we can get young people with this as well so it'll be interesting to see how that expands further. And I guess lots of expansion for them but um, BuzzFeed on the other hand uh, somewhat going in the opposite direction. Indeed and in fact breaking news this afternoon there are also cuts at Vice News mm. so um By my count, in the past week, uh, BuzzFeed News has closed in the US. There have been cuts at Vice News, Insider, ABC News, including uh, the data-driven news site 538, and also um, uh, US pop culture uh, title Paper Magazine has also laid off all its staff. So it's been a pretty brutal week, to be honest. Terrible news, and we we touched a bit bit on on BuzzFeed um, last week. Uh, do you think we're going to see even more cuts over the next over the next coming months? Yeah, I mean, we've been tracking uh, since about September when we started to realise that this was a big 
trend of of media companies uh, scaling back slightly with all the economic headwinds. And Q1 this year, there have been sort of over a thousand redundancies in UK and US news media. And sadly, it does seem like it's certainly not slowing down anytime soon. And a new hire here at the Media Podcast, well, a new contributor at least, uh, is John Elms of Broadcast Magazine, who joins us today down the line. I like the idea of being called a new hire as well. I, I quite like that. <laughs> um, and, you, and you've been off gallivanting. You're at MIP this week. Uh, what was your most bizarre sight uh, from the, the TV sales carnival? Well, I got an opportunity to speak to uh, Denise Richards and Robert Darby, who are both of Bond fame um, and were presenting, uh, kind of promoting their new uh, drama about the crypto world called Paper Empire. And so I suppose the strangest sight was seeing a photo of me interviewing those two, uh, thinking, well, (laughs) I'm in slightly rarefied company. You know, I usually talk to commissioners and producers, not A-list talent. So that was quite fun. And also joining us is media writer extraordinaire (laughs) Kate Bulkley. Hi, Kate. Hi, how are you guys? I I love that image of you uh, on the boat interviewing those people. Well done. Uh, But you were also uh, in Cannes uh, uh, last week. Um, Can you you top uh, any of John's celebrity sightings? I don't know if I can top that. I did have some yacht time, so that's always good. Um, I guess my top uh, celebrity sighting was I, I got to talk to Liz Murdoch because she was there with Jane Featherstone. They were accepting an award, so I got to rub shoulders with her. And uh, I did not ask her too much about Dominion voting, I will say that. But um, uh, it was uh, an interesting interesting conversation over a glass of, of rosé, which is always the, the drink of choice did, in the south of France. Did you ask her whether she has been catching up on the latest episodes of Succession? Well, interestingly, Jane has been. Jane Featherstone's been watching it. Liz uh, just basically uh, rolled her eyes and didn't say anything. (laughs) Okay, well, more can talk uh, later, but let's look at our first story. Uh, And that's the multiple exits of US talent. First, Tucker Carlson, who left Fox News this week following accusations of inappropriate behaviour. And then within minutes, the exit of Don Lemon from CNN, uh, potentially for his inappropriate uh, activity as well. Um, And and we've already mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Jeff Shell from NBC Universal. Um, Kate, clearly a coincidence that they all went this week, uh, but is there is there a link between all of their departures? Well, I do think it's a coincidence. I don't think that <laughs> the different news organization called each other up and said, okay, let's let's do this. Um, I don't think it was that, uh, that thought out. Uh, I, clearly, the Tucker Carlson thing had to do with what's been revealed through the whole Dominion voting uh, extravaganza with uh, the Murdochs and the, the the case, and a lot of that uh, those redacted conversations that he was having with uh, various um, management people uh, during all that, and some of the things that he said I, were just terrible. Uh, and so I think that that was sort of in a way the moment that they could they could say, okay, this is enough, and enough is enough. Which is interesting because you always think of on Fox, you know, it's never enough. You know, it's always going to be one more shrill. Thing after another. So this was, uh, in some ways, I mean, I, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised. I thought this was a actually a good move by Fox. But I don't think Tucker Carlson will disappear forever. I think he'll find some other place to uh, to speak from. But in some ways, uh, I think like a lot of people have found out in the past, 
your platform is very important. And Fox News is obviously a very important platform. When you're off of it, you're not as important. So we'll see what happens next for Tucker Carlson. I mean, people were saying the same sort of things about about Bill O'Reilly back in the day as well, weren't they? That, you know, he's so essential to Fox. But when they disappear off, uh, yes, they find often a second act somewhere, but uh, nothing really of, of the power that they have sitting on the, the Fox News set. There is something magical about, about the, the power of those platforms. I mean, do you think there's also something about what's maybe coming Coming as another court case, uh, this is Abby Grossberg, who worked on his show uh, and said some horrible things happened. Um, is that them, Murdoch and, and News Corp, maybe getting a bit of ahead of maybe some, some more wins that are coming their way? Yeah, I think probably you're right. I, I just think that they've probably got to the point where they realized he was he was more toxic uh, on air than he, than he would. That they, basically, it was a good time to get rid of him. Uh, and I think that in some cases, in some ways, that was also the case with Don Lemon. I mean, it just had gotten to a point where they just had to say, okay, we've got to, we've got to stop this. It's an interesting time. You know, would these things have happened even two or three years ago? I don't know. But it is coincidence, I think, that these all happened in the same, in the same week. And why do we think Don Lemon's been given the boot from CNN and CNN this morning? Well, it's interesting about him. Uh, you know, he was a he's been a rising star in that network for years. Uh, but this the morning show is a slightly different show for him. It was he couldn't do what he'd been doing uh, to, to such great effect on his own show. A morning show is a slightly different vibe. It's a a different rhythm. Uh, he had two female co-hosts. Um, I mean, he's been sort of the tea leaves are saying it was all about misogynist comments and things like that. So I, uh, I think that the main thing with him was that, that art, that um, comment he made about the Republican contender uh, where he said, you know, she, she was not, uh, uh, she was Past by herself by, by day yeah. too old or whatever. Yes. And it was sort of like, really, you're making that kind of a comment. I mean, we know that you're, you know, a little bit more left than right, but I mean, really you're saying that. So I think that the the Nikki comment really got him. Charlotte, do you think broadcasters and publishers are becoming more confident in dealing with unprofessional behaviour, or is it just a useful reason to make someone exit stage left? I think overall there haven't been that many examples of people being booted for bad behaviour. It just happens to potentially two on one day. Um, you know, it does make you think what else is going on that hasn't been exposed or or put out there yet that that maybe would have the, a similar impact but then again i do think broadcasters like most other companies are taking this sort of thing more seriously now so that's got to be a good thing okay it's interesting i mean both for cnn and, and for fox news these are some relatively big changes to to their lineup cnn's already having trouble in its uh, kind of nine o'clock hour uh, with talent that they want to put their post kind of chris cuomo um do you think, I mean, Fox News saw an audience drop and a sort of increase for Newsmax. Is it short-term bump for the super right-wing broadcasters? Do, do we think Fox will be okay in the end? Oh, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, uh, you know, I think that Fox will be okay in the end, unfortunately. <laughs> um, in some ways, maybe it's better to keep Fox as the, as the strongest uh, right-wing um, voice than have these, I mean, these other ones are really out there. I don't know if you've listened to some of these um, uh, other right-wing um, outlets, but they're, they're even worse in some cases. And, se- and what I say, when I say that, what I mean is that they're not based in fact at all. It's basically lots of shrill voices yelling and screaming about things. Um, the thing that is so unnerving, I think, about um, Fox News is that uh, 
if you actually look at what they run, they don't even report on things that they don't want to talk about. I mean, it's like they're, they're selectively basically making sure that you only see certain kinds of news. And so if you're in that Fox News echo chamber, you're only seeing certain kinds of news. And so that's why these sort of more independent, or at least trying to be balanced and fair and, and have all voices, news organizations are so important as we go forward. So, uh, you know, will they lose their audience? You know, I think that some people will follow a Tucker to wherever he goes or, but I think in the, in, for the most people, they will come back to the Fox. So I think it's a short-term thing, is I guess the, is the short answer to your question. Uh, more news this week uh, about the news. Uh, this time, uh, UK press regulator Ipso um, has been found wanting or has been found wanting. This is by an independent review that's reported back this week. Well, what's this review said? So, yes, so this is the second uh, sort of external review by an independent person of Ipso since it started uh, sort of almost a decade ago. Um, basically, checking how it works, whether it's sort of doing the job well enough, um, holding the press to account. Um, It does seem to overall seem to be um, pretty happy. It says that there's sort of no undue influence from the big newspapers or or anyone else over Ipso. So it's, you know, sufficiently independent from the industry. Uh, And yeah, overall pretty good. But there are a few things that they sort of highlighted that could do better or perhaps needs to progress um which obviously i highlighted for my piece you know you're never gonna draw out all of the good things that it's doing as as the new story but so basically one example is um since it started it's never launched a standards investigation which is sort of the big thing it could do that um would or uh, one of the things it could result in is a fine of up to a million pounds um and it's never done that has, and- it, has it find anybody uh, no, so never f- any okay. fines of any. Um, there's there's also an arbitration service that's never um, gone to a fine or, or resulted in anything either. Um, and and the question was so a couple of years ago people wanted it to do a standards investigation to the Jewish Chronicle because over the period of about three years they had quite a lot of upheld Ipso complaints and also um, libel payouts. Um, and so people said basically if you don't do a standards investigation into this, what would you? And so this review sort of had a look at that process and whether they should have done and and it sort of didn't come to a conclusion on that specific decision but it's it did say um what Ipso did instead which is like training with staff at the newspaper and sort of monitoring and um, and and over quite a long period over sort of 18 months or something um and they, they did say this seemed to be a good, you know, a good thing to do rather than just, um, as they put it, um, pressing a nuclear button. So, so they're basically saying uh, it shouldn't be that just because, say, the Sun had a couple of upheld complaints, they should go to the nuclear option of launching a full-scale investigation. So, um, basically, yes, yeah, seems to be running fine. But a few things they could do to improve, um, such as maybe they should have the power to order. A publisher to make an apology at the moment they can tell them to make a correction or publish an adjudication but they can't basically can't tell them to say the words i'm sorry or we're sorry um and so that's one of the things they've asked them to look at they've also suggested um so a lot of the guidelines are still around print newspapers and where a correction should go um with due prominence within a print newspaper and obviously ipso can order uh, websites to publish corrections but it um, it's a bit blurry over what the sort of 
similar prominence would count for compared to the original story so that basically it's still a bit behind on the digital age so they're just a couple of the things that um sort of they, they're going to look at to improve but I, I guess I guess one of the arguments about Ipso is that it's just a bit too cozy to, to its owners and it's a bit of a sort of old boys club and that no one really gets their wrist slapped is that is that unfair yeah, I think I think um, I think that probably is unfair. I know that that I I understand why there's that perception, mm. but yeah, I mean it it was interesting to see that this review, which as I say was um, completely independent, did say you know we don't think that there's undue influence. Obviously, it does have more of a relationship with the press itself than critics would like mm. it to. But are you guys it, ipso regulated? We are. Yes. Have you had any issues? So in my time, there was only one um, proper complaint, and it was based. It was to do with online comments and oh, okay. when you're supposed to deal with them pre or post moderation. Mm, but mm. you know, it, it all got cleared up fine. I'm pleased to say. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's another interesting area actually that I think they're going to get more guidelines on. Maybe or they, they suggested doing yeah online. You know. Um, because obviously you're hosting what other people say mm. and at what point are you responsible for that? Uh, absolutely. Right. Uh, thanks to Charlotte, John and Kate. Uh, we'll be uh, back in part two when we'll be going all in on MIP. We'll see you then. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we're back with Charlotte, John and Kate. Uh, and before we get on to MIP, uh, I want to talk about Netflix. So Netflix announced this week uh, that they have spent almost £5 billion in the UK since 2020, uh, which is significantly up on what they planned. Uh, John, why are Netflix spending so much in Blighty? Well, 
I mean, they're spending a lot in Blighty because we have lots of great studios. We've got fantastic production talent and not just production talent, but production services talent in the UK. The whole industry is set up well for investing inwards uh, uh, for creating creating TV content and content. Um, but also, you know, I, it is the second most important market outside of the US by virtue of it being English language and also the long history that the UK has in producing pop programming. So that's why they're spending a lot. Uh, and Kate, um, it, it's rare that sort of Netflix talks a lot about its business in, in local areas. Uh, why are they shouting loudly about their UK investment at the moment? Well, I think John's already said it in the sense that obviously the UK is a, is a, it's an engine. It's a creative engine. Um, it's, a, you know, all these great independent production companies are based there. So obviously that's good. Um, Anne Menzen knows what she's doing. She came out of Sky. She's a very smart operator. Uh, she's the local Netflix uh, MD. Um, I think I think also they're trying to figure out what they do next. What's their next trick? Because, you know, obviously budgets are getting tighter across the board. Uh, it's getting more competitive across the board. The streaming businesses, now everybody's in it. So it's not just Netflix and then a couple of other people. Uh, so they have to figure out what it is that they need to do to stand out. Uh, and, it, you know, they're, they're trying to create some other revenue streams like getting into gaming and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's going to be those big tentpole uh, projects that that they can hopefully uh, make work in a local market and then ship around the world. Uh, I think what's interesting is at the at the higher up level, you know, when you start looking at who's running the the store now, because Reed Hastings obviously has left. Uh, we have a we have a co CEO thing going on with Ted Sarandos, who's obviously the content guy, and then Greg Peters, who who is always the product guy. And the fact that they're co-CEOs now, to me, as somebody who's been watching them for a while, is very indicative of sort of a new phase in Netflix's life. You know, they're trying to think about, you know, what is it that, that we need to do now to stand out? And, of course, some people in, in the business, including, uh, including me at times, sort of say they are such a takeout target because it's sort of like, you know, who's, their, their model, their business model has literally been one thing. It's been you know, subscription VOD. Now they've tried to add advertising and it's sort of worked. It's certainly working better than it did when it launched last fall, but it's it's still, you know, still in the, let's say, nation uh, phase. So, you know, are, can they stand up to these huge companies that obviously also have streaming as part of their business uh, model? And I'm not just talking about, you know, Amazon, but I am talking about Amazon, but also Disney and all these other guys. I mean, so, so it, it's a it's an interesting time for them. So, I think that the fact that they are doubling down in the UK is just indicative of them knowing that they've got to get the right content on that platform to make it, you know, stand out. Kate, is there a danger that um, some of the softness in subscriptions uh, could affect some of this investment, or do you think they're they're here for good? Well, as I say, it's getting more competitive. Uh, so, yes, and we're seeing people what we call in the in the business spinning down. In other words, they're saying, maybe I don't want to pay the subscription price. I'll pay the advertiser supported price, which is obviously a lower price point. And most of the streamers now have different options. So in other words, you could get a, an S, a you know, subscription service. You can get a, a subscription at a lower rate with ads, or you can get a, a quote free rate and you watch ads. 
So there's there's different ways, let's say, to to get into these services now, which just shows that it's starting to mature in terms of uh, figuring out how to make SVOD work. And remember, the economics of, of, of subscription VOD never really made any sense. As John said, it was all about just getting people signed up as fast as possible and not wor- worrying about the bottom line. It was about getting eyeballs, getting subscribers, getting people in the tent. Now, as all the streamers, but including Netflix, are realizing that they have to actually make money and be profitable. That's why Netflix is, for example, worried about you know sharing passwords, which has been a huge crackdown in the States, right? So in other words, if you're doing that, and many passwords are shared with three and four and five people, they're saying, no, no, can't do that anymore. And of course, they're saying, hey, don't do it. And here you can get this lower fee and watch some ads. We'll see if that works. Um, but the point is that they're trying to become more um, uh, focused on the bottom line. And as the bigger players, you know, everyone from Disco Bro, you know, the, the discovery of no longer HBO Max, now Max, uh, they come in and they say, well, yeah, I know it's hard to keep track of what, what, what we're talking about now, but that one, uh, you know, they're talking about, you know, we, we need to make sure that we keep people on. And I mean, one of the things that Saslov said when they took uh, the HBO off the HBO Max uh, brand, because he said, we felt that the HBO was actually uh, scaring certain subscribers away from us because they thought, oh, that would be too highbrow. And they just want to watch, you know, the reality shows that they're used to on Discovery. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on to try to keep subscribers Uh, get subscribers, retain subscribers, but also make them more profitable. Charlotte, have you spun down any of your subscriptions yet? Not yet, no. Although I'm worried about the upcoming Netflix password sharing change. Yes. Does anybody share your password? (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, No comment. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I think think we might all be no comment on it. No. (laughs) Uh, So both of you guys, uh, John and Kate, have been uh, at MIP in Cannes. Um, Lots, lots going on there. Um, I'm interested in hearing your your highlights. Uh, One thing I did notice was Studio Canal boss uh, Anna Marsh in her keynote speech said that the tv bubble has burst uh what did she mean by that john uh well anna marsh was the latest in a number of tv execs to say the same thing i mean we this 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 has been the rhetoric for one in fact kate pointed to water Bros. discovery they have were the first big studio to announce swinging cuts when the merger happened last year David Zaslav, the CEO, said they needed to make about $3 billion worth. And um, all their kind of production outfits and their operations kind of articulated that they were they were having to cut spending on certain things. And Channing Dungey, the head of Water Bros Television Group, literally used that, um, that, that phrase, the bubble has burst. I think this kind of period of green light after green light, you know, lots of straight to series orders has come to end in certain parts and Anna Marsh was reiterating that and she she did it brilliant. It's the first time I'd heard Anna Marsh speak actually and she was she was fantastic actually in terms of how candid she was to talk of the situations, the tough choices that uh, these media companies are going through and 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 the responsibility of media leaders such as herself to make those tough choices and be more careful about where they're putting their investment in. That's what she was talking about. Sorry, roundabout way. Well, well, Kate, when suddenly there isn't much as much money going on, uh, people sort of fall back to, to tried and tested methods. Um, has that meant a bit of an explosion uh, in format acquisition again? 
Well, I think that's going to have a lot of implications. It's not going to be just that. Uh, I think that what John was saying about, you know, a lot of executives who say the bubbles is burst, he's absolutely right. Um, Jane Featherston was talking about, you know, what is going to happen. And one of the things that she said was that these uh, streamers are going to be much more open to collaborative models, to working together, to, you know, premiering rights, to sharing rights, to not buying all the IP. So that's a very different kind of world than we had when there was this sort of massive, let's just throw money at this and try to get subscribers. So I think we are in a, in a new phase in terms of the kinds of programs we're gonna see. I think that, um, so I've talked about sort of the, the collaboration and how the, the indies are gonna be able to, and the broadcasters I might add, are gonna be able to work, let's say, better with these streamers, particularly Netflix, but all of them in terms of sharing rights and windowing and premiering. But the other thing that's gonna happen is I think, yes, they are gonna they are gonna fall back to a certain extent on the tried and true. I mean, we're seeing that already in all these um, kind of spin-offs and prequels and sequels and <laughs> equals, and I don't know what kind of blah blahs that, you know, that you take the IP and you try to push it that way and push it this way to make, to try to, you know, build on that franchise. So franchise, Franchises are obviously really important and will continue to be important because there's something that people can hang on to. They, they're things that people know. Uh, the other thing that's going to happen is you say, if, if you can find a format that works, you know, God love you. I mean, if you can get the next Squid Game, you're golden. If you can get the next The Traders, that's a great that's a great thing because, of course, then it's like a money spinner. You can get it and basically license it to markets all over the world. So, I mean, that's always been the case, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of that now as we as you say, we get into more straighted times financially. And John, what, what else was happening at MIP that really caught your, your ear and eye? Uh, okay, well, I mean, it, it, Kate's touched on it. it is the kind of the, the refocusing of different models of distribution that are existing in the TV industry. Um, it's interesting that we're talking about these these big, big streaming companies going through uh, problem times because of finances. Um, but on the other hand, the, Distributors, the people who have control of certain rights, are you know finding different revenue streams. And one of the one of the areas in particular is the free ad-supported um, streaming TV uh, world or fast, uh, which uh, Mit TV dedicated an entire day to, or it might not be an entire day, but it was one big strand in on I think the Tuesday, um, which I've never seen before actually in all my time going to Mit TV. And that is just maximizing the extent of distributors and content owners library last week on the show we had the google tv boss and um uh, it's a, a core a core focus for them fast channels um kate what, what else mm. did, uh, caught your caught your eye at mip this year well uh, the fast thing was i actually moderated most of that fast day that uh that john was talking about so i was on stage with a whole bunch of these guys uh talking about and 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 women talking about what they're doing in fast and what the sort of the one of the takeaways for me was Number one, fast is huge in the U.S. market. It's not as big outside the U.S. market yet in terms of money. Uh, they've launched a lot of channels in the U.S. They're starting to launch a lot of channels in other markets, but the the economics of those channels in other markets is not as good or is not as developed or as mature yet as the U.S. market. So that's number one. So the business model isn't quite there yet. Number two, so it looks very similar to kind of, let's say a cable channel, and yet it's not because because they are streaming channels, they're, they're easy, they're, you can target them more easily for advertisers, 
you, you they tend to go to let's say a younger demographic because they're still the younger demographic that's watching the fast channels that i think will change fairly rapidly but so there was an interesting sort of vibe in the air about what people were trying to do it's not just dusting off their archive although they are doing that but they're trying to figure out ways to elevate certain brands so for example banage which obviously is a huge production company has launched a whole bunch of fast channels using their archive and library. They're not doing original content yet, although they basically admitted that at some point they probably will have to, to make them stand out. Um, but, but at the moment they're doing what, you know, back-to-back -back shows that they have. So it's like, you know, the, you know, back-to-back -back Baywatch channels or, you know, uh, I mean, it's just, and you think, who's going to watch that? And of course, that's what we all thought when they launched 24 hour news channels, who's going to watch 24 hours of news? Well, you're not. But if you want to see that brand, you're going to go to that channel because it's always on. Right. So there's a lot of that stuff going on in terms of what people are launching, what they can find that they have the rights for in certain markets, because, of course, they've sold the other rights to other broadcasters or other platforms. So there's a lot of that going on. And as I say, the economics are still not quite there. Uh, no, it is interesting what happens with, with fast channels next, and people kind of it's sort of a, it's lean back. It's it's the almost the opposition to on demand, isn't it? It's like, hey, I don't know what to watch. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, some Baywatch from nineteen ninety six. Brilliant. We'll have some more yeah. of that. Um, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, th thanks both for that. Um, I've still yet to get my can invite, so maybe maybe next year. Uh, I'll, I'll get I'll get to go. Uh, uh, right, media quiz time. Uh, we've just got time for media quiz. Um, this is just called Name That Story. Uh, you need to buzz in with your name if you know the answer. Uh, so Charlotte, you will say. Charlotte. Kate, you will say. Kate. And John, you will say. Kate. No, John. <laughs> <laughs> right, buzz in if you know the answer. Um, which chart toppers have a new podcast called Live, John. Laugh, Love. Oh, John was straight straight in with that. Uh, who's behind Live, Laugh, Love? Lab Baby. Yes, Lab Baby. Yes, the team behind five number one Christmas charity songs, best-selling kids' books and sell-out clothing lines. Uh, will you be tuning in, uh, John, to the uh, Lad Baby podcast? I'm not a massive devourer of podcasts, which is a shocking thing to say on a what? media show what? and on a podcast. But... But saying that, I have just been devouring two. Caveating all that, I've just been listening to loads. So quite possibly, I'm currently in a podcast divot. So yes, I think I probably will be, just to, just to see what it's like. <laughs> oh, it's just, uh, they, they've infected the charts, the, the music charts. Now I feel they're going to infect the podcast charts after infecting <laughs> YouTube. Anyway, that's just me. Uh, question two, uh, buzz in if you know the answer. Um, the ITV reboot of Big Brother has announced uh, their new hosts. But who are they? Charlotte. Charlotte. Who are the new hosts of Big B? Uh, AJ Aduru and Will Best, who I had not heard of before today. But now I know. He, he hosted Dance, 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 apparently, which also, I've also never heard of. <laughs> well, so AJ's been uh, doing loads of stuff. She's yes, did, I definitely know her. She did the Big Breakfast reboot and is a, a real talent. Uh, Will Best has kind of been bubbling under for quite a long time. And I think he's just a really sort of solid presenter in the sort of Dermot mould. Um, I mean, John, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great grab for him, isn't it? Yeah, it is a fantastic grab. I think, I mean, as you, as you said, AJ uh, Adudu... Um, speaks for herself she's been doing a lot of good presenting gigs and her her stock is very high and i think deservedly she, she should be fronting this um i had i like charlotte i hadn't really heard of will best but he he clearly has got something um that itv2 wants i think the big brother relaunch is such a big deal 
that they have to get everything right. That's down to car. Uh, that's down to host. That's down to casting. It, it, uh, you can imagine that the the scrutiny that the producers did to try and get their correct host would be very tight. So yes. And it looks like Big Brother's going to be kind of a combination of some live uh, shows uh, on ITV2 and then more sort of spin-off uh, shows on, on ITVX. I mean, are ITV really seeing this as an opportunity to drive their new streamer? Definitely. I think what is really interesting at the moment is social experiment reality TV is going through a bit of a purple patch. You know, it's been helped by something like The Traitors, which at its heart is a competition, but I think the the different kind of participants and contestants on that really helped drive the interest because you had different people mixing and talking and, and it really drove an interesting narrative. So I think we're currently in a bit of a, a hotspot for this this social experiment and, and reality show. So it's a good opportunity to relaunch a, a legacy brand that even if it's not been big in the UK, it's been massive around the world. You know, Big Brother hasn't really got away around the world. So a fresh take with some interesting shoulder content could be could be really interesting. Uh, I'm a big Big Brother fan. I hope they um, recapture the magic. Uh, right, final question, uh, and this is all about the quota debate for Channel Four. So obviously, Channel Four uh, will be able to make its own programs now. Uh, but what percentage uh, to the nearest five percent would Indies be happy with Channel Four having access to? John. Yeah. What are you going for? Give me a percentage. Ten to fifteen, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, that's that. Seemingly, is what indies uh, are after. Do you think that's that's fair? I think so. Like there are lots of stories about whether people actually wanted Channel Four to have in-house production. I mean, I, I, I this is this is difficult because you know I have to report on this daily. This these kind of things. So when you're reporting, you want to be dispassionate. In-house production is extremely expensive to pull off. I mean, Sky Studios set it up. They're they're one in 2019 announced they're going to invest a billion pounds in it and they still use third-party indies to produce so in-house production is is very hard to do get right and afford so 10 to 15 percent sounds sounds good i mean we're, we're talking in the hypotheticals here because we- uh- Kate, it's quite tough, as John was saying, to, to start up indie production from scratch. Uh, are the competitor indies overthinking the impact that Channel 4's owned business will, will have in, in the coming years? Well, I think the most interesting thing is that Channel 4 isn't itself sure that it wants to do in-house production. Uh, I don't think that was something that they actually asked to do. Uh, it's just something that came through because people have this concern that their business model over time isn't going to be sustainable with just advertising and not owning actually any IP, which is which is something we could debate because it's been in, in the in the you know we've been debating for a while. But I think one of the the lady who runs the Northern uh, Channel Four Outpost, she she was on the record as saying that she wasn't even sure that they wanted to do in-house production because it is it's a distraction in one case because you know you have to build up a studio you have to take care of it you have to if you're going to buy indies or you're going to you know what are you going to do how are you going to do it are you going to build it up organically are you going to you know you have to run the studio you have to figure out the blah blah whereas they have just been commissioners and then the third question is will it actually hurt the independent production sector in the uk and you know those are all those are all good questions 
And I'm sure their questions will, will come to uh, in further editions of the Media Podcast. Well, well done, John. Uh, first time on the show, straight in for the win. Uh, uh, as your prize, you get to launch 15 Media Podcast Fast Channels. So uh, good luck <laughs> with that. Uh, excellent. Well, thank you to Charlotte, John and Kate. Uh, Charlotte, where can people keep up with uh, what you're doing? Uh, Pressgazette.co.uk and despite everything, I am still on Twitter at Charlotte Tobit. <laughs> uh, and and John, how can people see what uh, you've been up to? Absolutely. So uh, you can check out Broadcast, uh, www.broadcastnow.co.uk or you can uh, see what I've been up to at jelms underscore TV. Uh, and Kate, finally, how can people uh, see what you've been talking about? I'm afraid I'm like uh, I'm like everyone else. I'm on Twitter as well. I'm at, at Kate Comments. That's my handle on Twitter. Although it's, you wonder how long it's going to last uh, in terms of wanting to be on that platform. I also write for broadcast. I'm a commentator for broadcast, so you can find me on broadcast uh, now. And I also do a lot of posting on LinkedIn as well under my name. Uh, thank you all, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're recording at the very swanky London podcast studios in central London, which has a full HD fixed rig cameras the lot. Uh, we highly recommend them. Uh, you can book your next recording here, the LondonPodcastStudios.com. Uh, and that link's also in the show notes. Uh, also remember, you can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash media pod. Remember to tell your colleagues about us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, and also make sure you are following the podcast uh, so you get a new episode in your podcast app of choice. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. Take care of yourself and each other. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.